0: You're listening to Everyday Humanity.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again this week on Everyday Humanity. We're so glad you're here. This is, in the way of a reminder, episode two of season two. And last week, for those of you who joined us, we had an incredible story with Salah, who's one of our coworkers here at Meltrider Ministries, and such a powerful story that he shared. And this week, I'm really excited because you're going to hear another very powerful story and insight from another one of our coworkers, Adrian Goodstall. Hi, Adrian. Hey. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, me too. Yeah, as we often talk about, um, there are so many areas within the mission that we all know about and work together. But oftentimes, we're, you know, where we are on our, our other side of the house, as an example. So I don't often get to your office and obviously in the middle of a capital campaign, sometimes your office is moving around a bit. I'm in the meat locker. You're that's the... what it's officially called. Mm-hmm. A meat locker. Yes, because it's so cold
0: and it's next to the kitchen, and I can hear all the clanging. And so we we have, yeah, we've uh, named it the meat locker. Uh-huh.
2: That's where your office is? Oh,
0: yeah. It's
1: lovely. You should come visit sometime.
2: <laughs> I did not know that's where you were. Uh-huh. Huh. This is how
1: we roll around here, you guys. As we always talk about, we are fun people doing uh, lots of good work in the world. So Adrian, I can't wait to hear the work that you do. So will you first tell our listeners what your official title is and sort of what areas over Meltrotter that you oversee?
0: Yes, so the official title has changed over the seven years that I have been with Mel Trotter. Um, My current role is Chief Engagement and Advocacy Officer. And it's a tongue twister, it's long, but it encompasses everything that I feel that I do. Um, And so really what my role is, everything that's external facing. How are we touching and engaging with members of the community outside of our four walls? So that's outreach, transitional housing, um, diversion, working in the Northern Kent area, Um, advocacy. uh, What am I missing? Clinics. Medical clinics also falls under my umbrella. And really a key piece is the partnerships, right? I'm pretty sure that we've talked about that in some of the podcasts, how important partnerships are for us Mm -hmm. to do the work and to be impactful. And so my role is just being that liaison between not only other service agencies, but also other business members in the community that can
1: kind of help us move the work forward. Yeah, thank you. It is a mm-hmm. tongue twister because you do an awful lot of things, as we just heard. That's a, a big reach, right? And so mm-hmm. one of the things that when I was coming to understand all the things that Mel Trotter did when I first came on board here, I I knew that you worked a lot, like, on the floor is what they say, right? Like, you would go to different governmental agencies and you would sort of, um, you know, lobby on behalf of, of the things that are out there, right? The advocacy part Mm -hmm. of that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because one, I need to still make sure that I understand. But two, I know it's such an important piece of the work that goes on here.
0: Yeah, I think that there's often a misunderstanding of what nonprofits should um, be doing around advocacy. Advocacy and lobbying are two very different things. Mm -hmm. And what we Mm -hmm. do is advocacy. And I think I would argue that nonprofits have a role um, in, in doing advocacy, right, to, to be that voice for the people that they're serving. And so um, we've always done that. Um, but I think a couple of year, years ago, we really realized that we need uh, you a know, staff person who can kind of really lead the charge, develop an advocacy plan, make sure that you know that person's at the table with different uh, statewide coalitions that are working on different reforms. So that's what I've been able to do. Um, it's been one of my favorite parts of my job, honestly. Um, you know, I often say, gosh, if I didn't want to be a politician, I'd probably go into politics. <laughs> so it's been great. And I've just been so, um, you know, blessed to be able to have that opportunity to kind of develop that role. Um, so what that means is it's meeting with our, our local legislators and representatives. It's meeting with state local uh, representatives. It's being at the table of statewide coalitions. Right now we're working on a source of income protection, which is huge. Um, you know, that's that's protecting statewide getting a reform and a bill passed that landlords cannot discriminate on the source of income whether it's ssi or a section eight voucher and we see that across the board that somebody may hold that type of income but they're being um, discriminated against for housing so that is a Statewide coalition that I've been a part of, um, and we're getting ready to really push it forward and meet with the legislators. So that's just one thing. Um, And then more grassroots at like our community level, you know, making sure that Mel Trotter has a voice for the homeless community because we are the agency that serves all people experiencing homelessness. So we have a great lens. And so making sure that we're at the table of the different um, committees and, you know, um, work groups that are
1: happening in our community so that were represented. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say thank you because that work is so important and not a lot of people, I think, understand that, right? The behind the scenes work that has got to go on. It's behind the scenes insofar as people don't really know about it, but it's so front scene in Mm -hmm. terms of you've got to be, like you said, outside of our four walls all the time, advocating on behalf of the work that's happening. So hugely important.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that Adrian, I think you'd agree that we figured out is. Um, the people that hold political office, whether that it be local, state, or federal, um, for the most part, they really want to do the right thing. They want to help. Um, but they don't, if we're talking about homelessness, right, they have a very limited View or experience with homelessness, so they really don't know the things that we know—the causes. Um, mm-hmm. What are the what are the barriers? What how do people need to leave homelessness? And by doing this advocacy, what we do is we become a resource to the lawmakers, so yep. that they can be. Um, Uh, more intentional and have a a greater knowledge base in terms of what helps. So in in a future podcast, I know you and I are going to interview State Representative Tommy Brand together, Mm -hmm. um, and you and he have, have developed a really strong relationship. Maybe share like one example of when he's reached out to you to get a greater understanding of an issue around homelessness.
0: Yeah. So he has been really um, instrumental in helping to push through what's known as the emergency shelter uh, program dollars. To, to help support mm-hmm. shelter, um, and so he's reached out in the past to just say, you know, I need to know like how is how are these dollars being utilized, and what's been happening in the community prior to you all getting the dollars, so that he can make sure that he's got the resources, like you said, mm-hmm. right, and the, the the background information that he needs when he's pr- trying to push it forward. So that's just one thing. Um, yeah. When this whole pandemic uh, came on, I was able to reach out to him and ask him to be a support and write a letter on behalf of. Of Mel Trotter and the homeless community to say we need isolation, and he stepped right up to the plate and wrote that letter. So mm-hmm. those are the types of it's a it's a back and forth, right? It's right. us being a resource to uh, to legislators and then us being able to reach out to them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. so let's um let's back up the bus a bit because we yeah. just dove right in. Yeah, <laughs> um, would love to hear a little bit of your story in your life, your journey, uh, and then how you ended up being here at Mel Trotter.
0: Yeah, so it's a very it's an interesting journey. Um, I think people often say, you know, you never wake up and think that you're going to be working downtown at the homeless shelter, right? Like, it's just, you don't go to school, you don't wake up and go, I'm going to go to college for this, um, but God leads you there, and that's, you know, and you, and you, you get to step boldly into it because it's very tough work. Um, so I'm, you know, again, just kind of backing up to where I started. My background is in criminal justice. I graduated from the Police Academy back in 2006 on the east side of the state. That's where I'm from. I'm from the Detroit area. So I went to the Wayne County Regional Police Academy, which is was a tough one. Um, and when I told my parents that I wanted to become a police officer, they thought I was joking um, because I was not a law-abiding teenager. <laughs> <laughs>
1: pretty sure no one in this room was, yes,
0: yes. or even, if I her, was. or, oh, or okay. even like you know, up until like I was 21, was not making the best decisions. Um, and so, yeah, so to think that I wanted to become a police officer just but something was laid on my heart at that time and I just stepped into it. And I really wanted to just see if I could make it through, right, like what was I really made of? Um, And I fell in love with, with criminal justice and everything about it. So I knew that that was the direction I wanted to head. When I graduated, it was in 06, and at that time there was no jobs available, which now you think, oh my gosh, I can't even like, they can't pay people to become law enforcement officers. I did have it up because I was a female and so I was considered a minority um i was this close to getting hired into dearborn police department which is uh you know pretty diverse community and i was beat out by another female so at that time i just said okay i don't know god like if this is what i'm supposed to do then what door is going to be open and the certification only lasts for a year and nothing came about so then i realized that maybe that was not what i was supposed to do so i switched to just going back and getting my bachelor's in criminal justice to do probation and parole so fast forward (laughs) led me over to the east side of the state um... I, went, I lost my brother um, in 2004 from suicide. It was very rough on me and my family. I actually was the one who found him, oh. um, And so a lot of trauma from that. Um, and it spiraled me into heavy, heavy depression mm. and um, coping with alcohol. So I had to kind of get through that piece of it. And I wasn't in a good place. Um, and I got a job offer to come to the west side of the state to sell maintenance supplies, of all things.
2: <laughs> like you do.
0: Right. Just nuts and bolts and, you know, cleaners. Brass and, tacks. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like just so random. Like, yeah. So random. But I just was, It's I was so lost and yeah. so devastated and, and I just thought that you know what God if this is an opportunity for me to get out of this bad space that I'm in I'm just gonna take it and I didn't know anybody in West Michigan I did not even know right nothing I'd never even been here the only thing I knew was that it was really conservative <laughs> so so again I kind of just took a leap of faith and I moved out here and moved in with a person who was looking for a roommate and lived with her for a while and you know, during that dark period, I had really lost my relationship with the Lord, um, and you know, kind of was mm-hmm. just in a, yeah, just in a bad space. So I knew that I needed to get back into, you know, into into my walk with him and my relationship with him. and what better place than West Michigan?
1: <laughs> I am so glad that Dennis asked you this question because, honestly, I didn't know parts of that story that you just shared. So yeah. thank you for sharing all that. And what my takeaway right now is real time that it's just confirmation, right? That God absolutely shows up in our darkest times mm-hmm. and guides our steps. And it's times like this when we're together years later when you have retrospect to go, okay, this is exactly why, yeah. right? Those yeah. pieces of my story were adding up and were being shaped and formed to get me to where I am today. And it's like listening to Solo last week, right? Mm-hmm. When he clearly was in a bad space and didn't know what the rest of his life looked like, and God had it and that's what he said. He said I leaned on God and here I am today. So mm-hmm. I just this is so so much in parallel with what we hear from our guests day in and day out. Yeah. That I had no idea. We had a guest recently that we just interviewed. His name's DeMario and he came from East St. Louis. He goes, I got off the Greyhound and I just lost my mom. She and I were very close. She died 6 months ago and I had no idea where I was going, but I saw her when I was a youth experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. with my mom. I saw her Work her way out of that situation, so I know I can too. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Well, if you thought that was good, the rest of the story, there's more. I'm sorry to interrupt. Comment. I
1: just was. I'm just still so wowed by this whole thing. Okay, keep going.
0: Yeah. So, um, so I moved out here, started selling. You know, I was doing really well in sales. I, I don't know what it was, but I could get my foot into a manufacturing door and sell the nuts and bolts out of it, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really successful. <laughs> You're making, oh, okay. I had my hard hat, and I'd walk in there, and I would just, wow, all of the maintenance guys would thought, because I actually knew what I was talking about. That was the thing. You know, you had to you get your foot in because of one reason, but you had to know what you were talking about. And I took pride in knowing, like, all the different, you know, uses of, like electrical connectors and you name it i can't remember the stuff now but anyways so I it's did called a that. holster and like a 45 right that's your background right yeah. it's all adding up okay. yeah so i did that all i worked my way through college i did that and bartended so i did that all through you know my undergrad at, at grand valley and once i graduated with my criminal justice degree i wanted to go into probation again there's not a lot of probation jobs that come up most people retire from that that field um, There was a grant-funded position at the Ionia um, Adult Drug Court for probation, so I took it. And it was grant-funded, and no, you know, and I'm older at this point. I mean, I was a late late bloomer, I like to call it. (laughs) I started college late, you know, so by now I'm like in my early thirties. I don't have insurance. I'm making like $31,000. It's grant funded, just not good. But I stayed there for about a year and then had an opportunity to move into foster care, case management at Bethany, where there was insurance and it was a little bit more money. And I thought, well, that's a good stepping stone. It was hands down the worst job I've ever had in my entire life. The worst job. I cried every time I went to mm-hmm. work, and I cried every day on my way home from work. And it mm-hmm. wasn't because—I mean, it was sad because you're working with you know kids that are, are are you know not in their home, but it was all of the bureaucratic and just the mm-hmm. brokenness in the system. And I felt hopeless, like there was nothing. My hands were tied, and there was nothing that I could do. Um, and so it was just—it was awful. So I did that for probably. I don't know, two years or so. Met my husband. Now this is where the fun the fun story goes, right? This <laughs> is how I ended up at Mel Trotter. Um, so I met my, you know, my now husband, um, and we were attending Mars Hill at the time, big church. I wanted, you know, a lay pastor from that church to marry us. So I threw my name in the hat, and we were getting married <laughs> at Middleville, um, uh, Bowens Mill in Middleville, it's a cider mill, and. Lo and behold, Dennis Van Kampen was a lay pastor there, and he's looking down the list of people who needed a lay pastor and saw where we were getting married, and that was where he and his wife had their first date. Mm -hmm. So he picked that. He's like, oh. Oh okay, well, that's got some meaning to me, so I'll pick this couple.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was a really deep thinker at that point.
0: So we met up at Starbucks Coffee, I remember, and we just were chatting. And, you know, he was talking about Mel Trotter, and I didn't really know Mel Trotter too much other than I had some moms from my foster caseload that had resided at Mel Trotter. Um, And we just got talking, and yeah, you know, I just said, "Gosh, if there's any openings, like I'm really not like go." Because then we started talking about what do you, what, what are you and James doing to make sure that you're entering into your marriage healthily? And Mm -hmm. I was in a really bad place Mm -hmm. with my career. Mm -hmm. I mean, just I hated it. It was I was miserable, and I knew that was not going to be good going into a new marriage with new stepkids and all of that kind of stuff. So I was planning on leaving bethany and going back to waiting tables until i found something else and lo and behold dennis said hey you should check out we've got a women's program supervisor i think you might be interested in it and i applied for it and then <laughs> dennis likes this part of the story because he tells it so much better
2: i do i yeah. really do but you, you should. want me to tell it you should tell okay it. <laughs> so so now adrian's wedding it is um outside at bowen's mill and um it is on the worst weather day that you can have in Michigan that doesn't have snow involved. <laughs> it was a monsoon, which is fine if your wedding is inside, not so good if your wedding's outside. So I'm driving down to Bowen's Mill with my wife. You know, we're going to have this like, oh, it's Bowen's Mill. And um, I'm going I'm talking to my wife Kelly and I'm like, Adrian is going to be like totally upset. It's her outdoor wedding. It's raining cats and dogs. This is not good. I am going to find a distraught bride. And I get there And I asked somebody, I'm like, where's Adrian?" And they're like, oh, she's in the cabin or the building or something right over there. I'm like, all right. So I walk over there and I walk in and I'm expecting to find this distraught bride. Instead, Adrian walks right up to me and says, hey, I just want you to know that last night at midnight, I sent my resume in and we're going on our honeymoon (laughs) after this. But this is when we'll be back from our honeymoon and I'll be able to interview then. And I'm like... I am going to hire this person because <laughs> raining on her wedding day and she's going, yep, I think I'm, I'm going for this job. That's so awesome! Um, we did the wedding. It was an amazing thing because God stopped the rain for about 30 minutes. Yep. So we made sure that we got the wedding in, <laughs> in 30 minutes. And I was um, just honored to pastor you and James's wedding. And then um, you came back from your honeymoon. Yeah. And you interviewed and we, it was a no brainer to hire you. And, it was um, a very
0: interesting interview. I oh, I don't that. remember that. Well, because Leonard was in the interview. And oh, so yeah. it was uh-huh. it was interesting. He can ask some pretty pointed questions. So it was it was interesting because Ida wasn't sure what to expect so i you know when i left there i'm like the passion between these two individuals Mm -hmm. around homelessness made me want the job even more because i Mm. just saw a passion and a and a heart for caring for the most marginalized and so that got me even more excited to say i need to be a part of what's happening because again you know I didn't I had no idea I mean Mm -hmm. I researched the website and you know things like that but you don't know what you don't know until you're down at the mission right Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. the the website's not going to prepare you for anything so it's um, very true yeah but it just I just felt so it was so clear that and I just felt so called to it and Mm -hmm. here I am seven years later and you know I've had an opportunity under Dennis's mentorship and leadership to just grow Mm -hmm. and you know move up the uh, up the leadership ladder, if you will. I guess sense what they still call it. Um, and just, it's just been such an yeah. amazing journey. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel a lot of those same things, right? With It's a similar journey as well, just having been around Meltrata from a volunteer perspective. But yet, like you said, you don't know until you're in it. You yeah. don't know until you're proximate every single day mm-hmm. with all the pieces and parts that go into this. And just, you, you touch a lot of those. And you mentioned earlier on outreach, which is somewhat new Mm -hmm. right to us a couple years we've been doing it is that right can you talk about that specifically because it's it's made all the difference I just I love hearing your stories when you come back from this
0: yeah so outreach is probably has the the deepest little place in my heart and i would say with dennis probably too a little bit but yeah we i mean you know it's it says and dennis shares the story all the time right about the 99 and that's exactly what outreach is and you know to be able to go out and and truly like just love on and build a relationship and be as proximate as you could possibly get in somebody's camp, breaking bread with them. There's nothing like it. And you know, those are the folks that that truly people have completely forgotten about, right? Um, they are they are hopeless they are, and they're not. I mean, they have so much to offer and we get to see that and help build them back up little by little, step by step. And it's through relationship. And it's, you know, I think it's it started really, you know, a, a call during the polar vortex really just as a life-saving, like Mm -hmm. we've got to go out and save people's lives, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But then from there it birthed into saying, no, part of our ministry is that we need to be out, you know, building relationships with people and and loving on people and ministering to people out on, on the streets. And so now two and a half years later, we've got a full outreach team. They are just making so many impacts. I mean, it's just unbelievable the work that they do out there. Um, I just, I'm a little biased, but I think I have the best outreach team ever. (laughs) And any of the (laughs) outreach that's, uh, you know, in the, in the, other missions so Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's you know they're they're going out and meeting people right where they're at and it takes time i mean they've been working with this one individual this young man who um very very closed off he's been living Mm -hmm. right by the river um and so they've been going out there since last uh, summer not this past Mm -hmm. summer but the summer before really just trying to like you know hear his story and he was so reserved Barely wouldn't really, you know, engage in conversation. He would listen, but he wouldn't mm-hmm. engage back um, and kept asking, like, you know, how can we help you move forward? How can we help you move forward? And finally, this past, um, oh, I'd say probably like three weeks ago, he finally off, uh, accepted their offer to help him get moving forward with a job so they took them they got them all cleaned up and showered up and they got him a work you know an interview outfit they got him scheduled actually for an interview at Meyer, which is another mm-hmm. cool connection because mm-hmm. our diversion resource navigator was able to connect with the HR director at that store so that's where he wanted to work so we made the connection they set up an interview like I said will and Tyler spent all day getting them showered they did a practice interview with him. they got him in his clothes they took him over to get his interview and he got hired on the spot so that's the that's god's work right it took a year over a year for them showing up every single week just sometimes they would just sit with the guy and they would they wouldn't even talk they would just sit Mm -hmm. right um so yeah so those are the amazing things that are happening with outreach Mm -hmm. and we've built it out you know we've we um have medical outreach now that we're starting so we're going out and able to kind of do some triaging with people you know right now in the winter you can imagine a lot of people have frostbite gangrene so Mm -hmm. we're able to identify that and get them you know sent over the ed a lot of wound care that we're doing We've got our mobile shower unit, and that's all part of our medical outreach. So it's just been amazing to see how it has grown over the last. It started with us feeling called to go out during Polar Vortex to now, I -hmm. would say, one of our most impactful ministry arms that we
2: have. For for sure. And, you know, Adrian, um, I think our listeners, and and certainly us at, at points in our life, have probably at one time or another seen, whether it's a tent, in the woods alongside a highway or whether it's an encampment by the river or whatever it might be. Uh, And we've seen people there. And I think, you know, to varying degrees, sometimes you can think, well, gosh, why don't they just go get a job and move out of homelessness, right? There's all kinds of jobs available. So, um, you know, with your experience and, and your heart and the outreach team, what would you share with our listeners to help them understand Um, why somebody might be living out in the woods and why they might not at this point in their life uh, be willing or even capable of going to get a job. So, yeah. kind of a broad based question, but I know you'll do something good with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, there's a, a lot of reasons why, right? Um, mental illness, severe substance use, um, lack of trust, right? Um, sense of wanting smaller communities, right? So, there's a lot of reasons. I think that people who fare outside um, come with so many traumas and they've been burned so many times by whether the systems that they've been involved in previous employers previous supports right family members Mm -hmm. so it's really they lack that confidence and they lack that trust that Mm. they can go out and they can do something more than what their current situation is right I mean we just see that and so it's really that's why that relationship and that encouragement is so important right even though you're right now staying in a tent That is not what that is not what God intended you to Mm -hmm. be. Right. So let's let's and, you know, I hate to use this, but let's pick you up by your one bootstrap, at least that you do Mm -hmm. have so that Mm -hmm. you can see that you've got so much more, you know, that Mm -hmm. you can offer. Right. So I think a lot of it has to do with just um, just the the amount of trauma and Mm -hmm. lack of trust and, and broken relationships and bridges that have been. Um, bestowed upon people that are like living outside. I mean, homelessness in general, but especially those that are choosing to live unsheltered, they really truly are the most marginalized. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I can remember in my life the, the very first person in my life that told me that I could be anything I wanted, to, I wanted to be and I could do anything that I wanted to do was actually my fourth grade teacher. Right. I, I can remember the very conversation where she said, um, you're special, you're smart, mm-hmm. and you can be and do anything you want to do or want to be and want to do. And, you know, I think my experience has been that so many of the people that we work with, in particular people that are out in encampments and things like that, um, They've never heard that. Right. They've never had somebody to come alongside them, whether they were young or old, to tell them that they can do it. That's okay, we'll help you, we'll get there, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in many ways, you know, you talk about the guys going out on outreach and sitting with this guy for a year, right? Well, what they're doing is they're building a relationship and they're encouraging and they're helping to build that trust and then being able at the right moment to say, mm-hmm. You can do this, right? And then all of a sudden it's clean up, get clothes, prep for a job interview, and now you're working at Meijer, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Yeah. But but there's not a... There's not a time frame to, to redemption and transformation right. and
0: it takes patience right yes. building that relationship and that trust it takes patience and you have to have that. you can't expect right that somebody who's been so down for so long and kicked and you know told that they can't do anything that it's going to be transformational overnight and so it right. does take that patience and yeah but it, it happens. Yeah, and I want to see it time and time again.
1: Yeah, I hear both of you right now, and I want to, like, make an analogy, right? This is one of the things that we endeavor to do on – everyday humanity is talk about the misconceptions and perhaps the the wrong narratives or whatever um, sort of presuppositions might exist for why people are homeless, right? And so what we often say, which is what everybody just heard is that it's the relationship. So people have a misconception that if they just had money, just got a job, they, the homeless folks, mm-hmm. right, um, would not no longer be homeless. And we're saying, you know what? People were out of relationships before they were not of money. That's the issue. It's a lack of relationship. So the analogy that I hear is Think about how many people in our lives right now, present company included, have been divorced, as an example, that's trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, Mm -hmm. and there becomes this sort of self-defense wall that goes up that says, I don't have trust. I don't have Mm -hmm. trust in the institution of marriage anymore. I don't have trust in a relationship anymore. But the difference is I had support. I had relationships, other extended family um, and friendships you know, in my life that helped me pick myself back up. Mm-hmm. And so I heard you say early on, too, the three things. You said mental illness, substance abuse, mm-hmm. and trust. Mm-hmm. Think about the people in our lives right now who aren't homeless, that aren't experiencing homelessness, that have all three of those issues inside of four walls that we often don't see right. inside of homes. We have so many people in the world that are experiencing this, now probably more than ever. And so that is what I really, really deeply care about from a narrative standpoint, from Mm -hmm. a story standpoint, from a proximate standpoint, is sharing with people, you know what, we're all the same in terms Mm -hmm. of our hurts, our past traumas, the things that we deal with. It is a difference of our people showing up in your life to walk alongside you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. our, you know, that's our outreach team for the folks that are unsheltered. Mm -hmm. So... Will came in that day you spoke about um, for the gentleman they spent a year with, right? And Will was outside of my office in front of, um, well, Haley's also outside of my office. And I heard her, Haley's just one of the funniest people of all times. And today's her birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Haley. (laughs) And um, she said, Will. Why are y'all dressed up today? Like, where are you going? You're all duded up. And he's like, "Well, because my guy has an interview today, and so I wanted to be here to support him. So Will came to work in like a suit, <laughs> in support of right his gentleman that his that he's formed a relationship to show him with. that, hey, Yes, he's like, "Hey, we're in this together." together. And, but Haley gave him. She, she's like, "What are you wearing today, Will?" It was the funniest thing. <laughs>
2: That's well, awesome. you know, and and speaking of Will, Will is one of our outreach workers on, on Adrian's team, and I was at a luncheon today that that Will was at, and he came up to me and he said, "Dennis." we got this lady, we got this lady to come in and she's been living out at the river and we've been working with her for a long, long time and we finally got her to come in and now she's staying at Degage and she's getting day services at at, uh, Heartside, which is a part of Maltrotter. And he was so excited and he said, we've been trying for months and unfortunately what happened was the river went up Mm -hmm. and it flooded her encampment. So she had nowhere to go, but in her hour of nowhere to go... Through the relationships with our outreach team, she reached out to yeah. our outreach team mm-hmm. yeah. because devastation happened, right? A natural disaster, right? Yeah. Uh, her her version of a natural disaster. Her home is now destroyed because of the flood. And who does she go to for help? The Maltrotter outreach team. Mm-hmm. And now she's out and who knows what's going to happen that's to this right. story, right? And that's what you were alluding to it earlier that. You know, the thing that Jesus talks about when he when he tells a story about the shepherd that had a hundred sheep and and ninety nine of them when they're betting for the night are accounted for and one is lost. And and Jesus says the shepherd goes out to find the one that is lost. And when he finds the one, he doesn't say why didn't you do the right thing? Why couldn't you be like the other 99? Mm-hmm. He doesn't judge. He doesn't condemn. But Jesus said the shepherd lifts him up gently, puts him on his shoulders and carries him back. And then the most profound part of that story is Jesus says the shepherd rejoiced and was happier about the one who was lost and now found than the 99 that never went away that's right. or never went astray right so and that's outreach mm-hmm. right we're going out we're continually going out to find that one that's lost yep. and then not in condemnation condemnation and judgment but out of love walking home with mm-hmm. them right yeah and and you've built that you've built that at Meltrotter. trotter yeah so that's pretty sweet
0: it's been it's been amazing i you know it was i was trying to figure out and again this is a god thing only right um when i was off for the first three months of the pandemic, because my husband has some pretty severe underlying health conditions. So we decided just for those three months, I'm just going to stay home and work remote. So thank you for Mel Trotter for allowing <laughs> me to do that. But I was, I spent some of that time, the few little seconds that I had not thinking about isolation, because um, <laughs> I couldn't get outreach off the ground like we mm-hmm. we struggled getting volunteers and we struggled having i mean staff would sign up because you know it was a cold night but then that was it and i'm like i don't know how i'm going to get this off the ground and i just prayed about it and i said god if you if this really is supposed to become part of what we are doing as a full ministry and not just code blue or code uh red which is hot and cold weather for those that are listening <laughs> um then then what, what do I need to do? And he laid it on my heart so clear. He said, Adrian, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my calendar and lo and behold, like every Monday and Wednesday afternoon, I had nothing on my calendar, which is not like you know that doesn't normally happen so (laughs) i plugged in i plugged in and i said i'm going to be the outreach person and i'm going to get this going and it was such an amazing amazing thing for me to be a part of Um, it truly like i looked forward to it every single monday and wednesday and and now it's been built to what it is and i was able to pass the baton off to tyler and will Mm -hmm. but it's it's been something so special um and i would Mm -hmm. say you know if people ask you what are you most proud of in your career Mm -hmm. so far i would say that Building
2: outreach. So we don't ever do this on this podcast, but I think we're going to do it now. Um, if if somebody that's listening is like, I want to know if I can help with outreach. I want to get involved because this is staff, but it's also volunteers. Yeah. Oh yeah. So if somebody is listening and they want to volunteer to help on outreach, how do they do it? Yep, you
0: can go right on our website under meltrotter.org org slash volunteer, and there is a link that says outreach, and you can sign up right for it, and it'll connect you right to
1: Tyler, and you can get plugged in. This is so funny. That was yeah. going through my mind. Was that has beat me to it. But yes, and but I do want to share one thing. So my husband came on outreach. He and I did this probably four or five, six months ago, and um, my husband is super kind. I'll say that out loud. I think he listens to this, um, and I and I do mean it. But I'll tell you, I was driving the van, and he was up front, and we had, um, I think Joe was with us as well. And we were just on outreach. We were driving through downtown and um, bringing food and things that, you know, are in the back of the van. And we took back one, uh, it was about 32 or 33-year-old male who was in the back with Joe. And my husband began engaging him in story and said, hey, you know, hi, I'm Ryan. What's your name? And he began to share his story. He said, I grew up. You know, in the Forest Hills area, I had, I had a great home life and I got into drugs. I, I got around, around the wrong crowd. And by the time we drove from downtown to where he was sleeping in an alley, to, back to the mission, my husband was in tears. Mm-hmm. And he walked him to the men's side on William Street. And he said, he got back in the van, he looked at me and he said, that could be Chase. Chase mm-hmm. is my husband's son who's mm-hmm. 21 years old. He said, I don't know what I would do if my son was sleeping in an alley. Yeah. He mm-hmm. said, that is someone's son. How can we fix this? yeah so yeah, yeah. it's powerful it is it's, it's meaningful powerful experience so mm-hmm. yeah yeah well thank you for all that you do yeah. I want to say that to you firsthand here before we start to wrap things up um I want to know one fun thing about you that you are not already disclosed. I mean, clearly you can shoot a gun. You do the whole criminal justice thing. I know you're a runner because we talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. But and what, a track star. Yeah, she's a runner Bro. and track star. <laughs> there you go. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Haley too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was running around at one point for like putting signs up for our turkey drop, and I ran around the building, and she starts singing that song. I'm like, Haley, pipe it down. Runner and track star. I don't even know that I, song. Well.
2: Oh Adrian,
1: come on. Dennis says because he has teenage <laughs> girls. Oh, okay. Yes, I have teenage like, yes. daughters, so, <laughs> so I know that's on. Yeah. But what is one thing that perhaps other staff members and or listeners don't know about you that you haven't already shared? Fun that's fact. Fun, fun fact. Yeah. A fun fact. Okay. Um, I backpacked by myself through
0: Central America for three and a half months. So <laughs> I spent my twenty first birthday in um, Montezuma looking at a volcano and I was by myself and it was amazing. So yeah. That's a fun fact. My parents weren't very happy about
1: that decision. <laughs> no, I bet not. But. <laughs> but you said already at that point in your life you're kind of on a roll disregarding was, exactly. rules anyway. So, so yeah, didn't surprise them. <laughs> so that's a fun fact for me. Yes.
2: Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm excited for you two to um, interview Tommy Brann in the next yeah. week or so. So, listener, tune in. Thank you, as always, for being here on another episode of Everyday Humanity. And we will see you next week.